The wildest muscle car party in the West is back and returns to the Strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway March 15th through the 17th for another weekend of muscle car action. If you are a muscle car enthusiast, then get your ass to Las Vegas for drag racing, autocross, the swap meet, a vendor midway, and of course, the return of Project Cars at the Strip. Go to mattslv.com to register today. See you in Vegas. Welcome to Talking Mopars episode number 181. On this episode, we talk about Chrysler's relationship with Mitsubishi and a few of the Mopars that were a product of that partnership. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Chrysler and Mitsubishi have had a long-standing relationship that dates back to the 1970s. The two companies have collaborated on various projects, including the development and production of vehicles. In the 1970s, Chrysler entered into a partnership with Mitsubishi to import and sell their vehicles in the United States. This partnership helped Chrysler expand its product lineup and compete in different market segments. In the 1980s, Chrysler and Mitsubishi collaborated on the development of several vehicles. One notable example is the Chrysler Conquest, which was based on the Mitsubishi Starion. The two companies also worked together on the development of engines and technology. In the 1990s, Chrysler and Mitsubishi formed a joint venture called Diamond Star Motors, also known as DSM. This joint venture involved the production of vehicles in a manufacturing plant located in Normal, Illinois. The plant produced models such as the Mitsubishi Eclipse, the Eagle Talon, and the Plymouth Laser. Over the years, Chrysler and Mitsubishi continued to collaborate on various projects, including the sharing of platforms and technology. However, the relationship between the two companies has seen its ups and downs. In 2009, Chrysler filed for bankruptcy and underwent a restructuring process. As a result, the company had to end some of its partnerships, including its involvement with Mitsubishi. Despite the ups and downs, the collaboration between Chrysler and Mitsubishi has left a lasting impact on both companies. It has allowed them to leverage each other's strengths and resources to develop and produce innovative vehicles vehicles. And although some hardcore Mopar enthusiasts tend to disregard this particular era in Chrysler history, its impact on the history of Mopars and automotive culture cannot be denied. Now, let's chat about a few of the cars bred from the DSM era. The Chrysler Conquest was based on the Mitsubishi Starion, which was originally introduced in Japan in 1982. It was then rebranded and sold as the Chrysler Conquest in the United States and other markets. The Conquest was designed to compete with other sports cars of its time, such as the Nissan 300ZX and Mazda RX-7. The Chrysler Conquest featured a sleek and aerodynamic design with a long hood, pop-up headlights, and a wide stance. The interior of the Conquest was designed to be driver-focused with a sporty cockpit and supportive seats. Under the hood, the Conquest was powered by a turbocharged engine. The early models were equipped with a 2.6-liter inline four-cylinder that produced around 150 horsepower. Later models received the turbocharged 2.6-liter inline four-cylinder that produced up to 188 horsepower. The Conquest also featured rear-wheel drive and a choice of manual or automatic transmissions. The Chrysler Conquest offered impressive performance for its time, with a top speed of around 130 miles an hour and a 0-60 to acceleration time of around 7 seconds. It was known for its agile handling and responsive steering, making it a popular choice among driving enthusiasts. 
While the Chrysler Conquest had a relatively short production run, it did leave a lasting impact on the sports car market. Its combination of sleek design, turbocharged power, and engaging driving dynamics made it a standout choice for those seeking a performance-oriented vehicle. Today, finding a clean, well-preserved example of a Chrysler Conquest is considered next to impossible. I've always loved the Chrysler Conquest and Mitsubishi Starring, especially the later models, because they had that wide body look, and it just looks like uh, an, an 80s muscle car is what these cars look like. Thankfully, they were rear-wheel drive, which is something I've always said about the Dodge Daytona. I wish that they were rear-wheel drive, and I think that Chrysler missed an opportunity. Unfortunately, with the Conquest, with their relationship with Mitsubishi, they really didn't have much of a choice the way I understand it. So they went with the 2.6-liter Mitsubishi inline four-cylinder, which, in my opinion, was a huge mistake. I think it should have at least been optioned for a small-block Chrysler. I think that would have been awesome. And, uh, gosh, I can <laughs> you know, I talk a lot about the, the, the wish of a rear wheel drive Daytona, but I almost would rather have a V8 conquest <laughs> to be honest with you. If Chrysler had offered a V8 conquest, it absolutely would have competed with, you know, the Camaros and, and the Trans Ams, you know, those, uh, GMF bodies and absolutely with the Fox body Mustangs. Um, of, of the time period, uh, gosh, I could only imagine <laughs> what a V8 Chrysler conquest, um, what kind of history it would have had up until today. It probably would have been very sought after. And actually, I think they probably would have sold more of them and there probably would be more of them out on the market for us to buy. But, um, unfortunately that's not reality. The reality is the Chrysler conquest was stuck with the pile of shit, 2.6 liter inline four cylinder from Mitsubishi, but this is the world of hot rodding, baby. We can swap anything we want. So you find a lot of Chrysler Conquests and Mitsubishi Starions with V8 swaps, and I'm okay with that, especially if somebody puts a Gen 3 Hemi in one. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. The Plymouth Laser was a compact sports coupe that was produced from 1989 to 1994. The Plymouth Laser shared its platform and many of its components with the Mitsubishi Eclipse and Eagle Talon. It was designed to appeal to younger buyers who were looking for a sporty and affordable car. The Laser featured a sleek and aerodynamic design with a low-slung profile and stylish exterior. The Plymouth Laser was offered in three trim levels, Base, RS, and RS Turbo. The base model came with a naturally aspirated 1.8-liter inline four-cylinder that produced around 92 horsepower. The RS model had a turbocharged version of the same engine, which increased the power output to around 135 horsepower. The RS Turbo model featured a turbocharged 2-liter inline four that produced up to 195 horsepower. The Laser was available with either a 5-speed manual transmission or a 4-speed automatic. It was also offered with front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive depending on the model and trim level. The Laser's performance and handling were praised by enthusiasts as it offered fun and engaging driving experiences. Inside, the Plymouth Laser featured a driver-focused cockpit with supportive seats and a sporty instrument cluster. The interior was relatively compact, but it offered a surprising amount of space for a two-door coupe. The Plymouth Laser received positive reviews for its sporty styling, agile handling, and turbocharged performance. 
It was considered a competitor to other sport compact coupes of its time, such as the Honda Prelude and Toyota Celica. However, sales of the Laser were relatively modest and production ended in 1994. I do like Plymouth Lasers and I would love to have a little turbocharged one. The 2-liter turbocharged engine that came in these cars is the legendary 4G63. And in the world of import performance, those engines are legendary for their ability to be built and produce gobs of power. You know, and of course that that's relative to a four cylinder, but still the 4G63s are amazing power plants. And while I am a Mopar guy, um, I am a car enthusiast first. So I, I know badass when I see it. And I know that the 4G63 engines are pretty badass. Finally, we have the Dodge Stealth. Produced from 1991 to 1996, the Dodge Stealth shared its platform and many of its components with the Mitsubishi 3000 GT, which was another sports car produced by the joint venture. However, the Stealth had its own unique styling and branding that set it apart from the 3000 GT. The Dodge Stealth featured a sleek and aerodynamic design with a low-slung profile, pop-up headlights, and a muscular stance. It had a more aggressive and angular appearance compared to the 3000 GT. The interior of the Stealth was driver-focused with a sporty cockpit and comfortable seats. Under the hood, the Dodge Stealth offered a range of engine options, with the exception of the ones that matter the most, and that's the V8. <laughs> but the base model came with a 3-liter V6 engine that produced around 164 horsepower. The Stealth RT model featured a turbocharged version of the same engine, which increased the power output to around 300 horsepower. The top-of-the-line Stealth RT twin-turbo model featured a twin-turbocharged 3-liter V6 engine that produced up to 320 horsepower, which, you know, at the time, even... Camaros and Mustangs and Firebirds without forced induction were struggling to produce 300 horsepower. So it's cool that the Stealth, even though it was a V6, it was a twin turbo V6 and it was able to produce over 300 horsepower. So that's pretty cool. The Dodge Stealth was available with either a five-speed manual or a four-speed automatic transmission. And it also featured all-wheel drive, which contributed to its impressive handling and traction capabilities. The Stealth's performance was praised by enthusiasts as it offered a combination of power, speed, and agility. In terms of features and technology, the Dodge Stealth offered some pretty cool stuff. It had advanced features for its time, such as active aerodynamics and electronically controlled suspension and four-wheel steering. The Dodge Stealth received positive reviews for its stylish design, powerful performance, and advanced features. It was considered a competitor to other sports cars, such as the Corvette and the Nissan 300ZX. However, sales of the Stealth fell flat and production ended in 1996. You know, it's funny because I have rarely seen clean examples of Chrysler Conquests or Plymouth Lasers, but every once in a while, a cream puff Dodge Stealth shows up somewhere online for sale. But um, to be honest, I have a love-hate relationship with these three cars. You know, the Chrysler Conquest and the Dodge Stealth seem to have been plagued with issues. Thankfully, the Laser at least got the 4G63. But this is just another one of those cases where I can stand on my soapbox and say that I wish Chrysler had put a V8 in the Conquest and the Stealth. But, you know, you know how that goes. I know the DSM era of Chrysler can be heavily frowned upon in certain Mopar enthusiast circles, but their place in the history of Mopars is well-established and worth mentioning on the show, and that's why these three got their own episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Mopars, and maybe you even learned a thing or two about the DSM era. Thank you for joining me, and remember, no Mopar left behind.
If you've ever thought about swapping a modern Hemi into your classic Mopar, then go visit my friend Blake at Sublime Technologies. Formerly known as DIY Hemi, Blake has spent years developing products to help you with your Gen 3 Hemi swap needs and his mission to Hemi swap the world. So if this is a swap that you've been kicking around, maybe you just want some more info, do not wait. Head on over to sublimeparts.com and start your Hemi swap today. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about the show, you know where to go, TalkingMopars.com. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.